throughout my, um, uh, throughout my relationship with my wife, I've, I've noticed something is that I, I, I'm not exactly the handiest person. I, I don't, I don't really like to fix things. Um, but turns out that, uh, that, uh, over the years I've kind of gained a little bit of experience. I've, I've done a little bit of everything. I've remodeled a bathroom from, from floor to ceiling. I've, uh, I've, uh, installed new electrical outlets. I've done a little plumbing. I've done flooring, uh, a lot of flooring. Every one of my light fixtures in my house has been something that my wife has said, I don't want that one. I want to replace it. So I've replaced every one of them. Some of them a couple of times. Um, little sore spot here. There, I've, I've painted. I, that's like the least favorite job I, I ever get is painting. Um, I have uh, done landscaping in my life. I, I have uh, uh, done carpet. Um, I've replaced faucet. I, I've even worked on appliances. I, I fixed my ice box, and uh, I, I, I installed a new heater, uh, heating element in my dryer. I mean, I've I've done a lot. I've done vehicle maintenance, changed the oil and changed the brakes. Uh, Change the alternator. Um, I, I, I've done things that I, I turns out I didn't have to do. I just thought it was the wrong problem. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> I didn't need to replace that alternator, as it turns out. Um, it was the battery. Um, that's how it goes sometimes. There's a lot of things um, that I've gotten pretty decent at in doing. But Something that everything that I've just mentioned had in common was that there was a need in my life to address the problem or something was broken. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, the, there are times that even the broken stuff doesn't end up getting addressed. Any, any handymen in here or handy ladies? <laughs> That's just how it works. Uh, there are some things in my life that even if it is broken, I have a hard time motivating myself to fix it. Something like this is actually called the Zygarnik effect. Okay, there's a psychologist that uh, is Lithuanian and, and Soviet, and uh, his name was Boma uh, Zygarnik. Okay, what a name, right? And he identified this this thing that. Uh, that it turns out that it's easier to remember, remember things that, that, weren't, um, that weren't complete or that you scheduled something and it didn't begin. And so as it turns out, ladies have an easier time with the Zygarnik effect. They, they have a tendency to remember stuff that's incomplete better than guys do. I, I guarantee every one of you knew that. <laughs> At least you guys. But... The truth of the matter is, is that even in our life, there's oftentimes more that is broken than just a leaky faucet or clogged gutters that we want to fix and we intend to fix, but we actually don't get to it because if we're going to be honest, it's really hard. It's difficult. It takes a lot of work, work that we're often not oftentimes not prepared to do, but nevertheless, it's still important and it still needs to be done. Maybe you're here and it's been such a long time since something in your relationship was, was fixed, was right, 
that it's been on that honey-do list for such a long time that you've actually forgotten about it. You let it drop off and, and you've just kind of been living with it for a long time. Maybe it's something like a, you know, a sense of humor that's kind of mean and it's been kind of hurtful over time. Or, or maybe it's a, about, a, about transactional love. You know what I'm talking about, transactional love. The idea that, uh, what do I get out of this relationship? And I'll give if I get. And that's kind of hurtful and painful and it needs some work. But you can kind of make it work over time. Or maybe it's hurts and scars from the past that have really never been addressed. And so you've just both agreed not to bring that up anymore. Whatever it is inside of your relationship, I, I want you to know that God has a, has a purpose and a plan and a desire to bring healing and health in your relationship, to fix what is broken. So today, it's time to get out those old lists, put on the gloves, and get to work. And it's going to take a little work, not just on your partner, on your spouse, on your friends, on your neighbors, on your family member, but most of the work is going to happen in our hearts and in our lives. And so my, my prayer is for you today is this, is that you're opened up to receive what the Lord would have, have done in, the re, in your relationship, that, that, that somehow God moves in and steps in and does something in your life that will open up the opportunity, the possibility of healing the hurt and the pain inside of that relationship. Amen. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 So I've broken down my, this sermon into, instead of points, I can give you three tips. Three tips in addressing what is broken in your relationship. The first tip, tip number one, fix yourself and not them. <laughs> I see a lot of nudging going on. <laughs> see, I told you Pastor John was going to say that. <laughs> fix yourself and not them. I, I wonder if there's ever been any problem with any spouse and, 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 and you've tried to fix them. You've tried to fix them, but it just hasn't worked out. You, you, you had a problem with your husband, your wife, your friend, and, and you decided, you know what, I'm going to help them out. I'm going to help them out. Well, in the, in the words of the great Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? It, it turns out that, that you can't change another person. You can try. You can tell them what you think. You can even tell them how to get there. But you, you can't fix them. You can't change them. You can't rewrite their programming. And any attempt to do so will bring you mixed results at best. And at worst, it'll make you frustrated, irritated. It'll create bitterness in between you and them. And so how do you address these problems? Well, first of all, you have to realize that you can't change them, but you can control yourself. As a matter of fact, Jesus had a lot to say about people that tried to change somebody else without first 
looking inside and seeing what's wrong with them. Matthew chapter 7, verse, starting verse 3, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say your to your brother, let me, take a look, uh, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Oh, man, that's heavy. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, this is important information for you to understand whenever it comes to trying to address a situation or problem with your, with your friend or your spouse or your, or, or your neighbor or, or your colleague. Because the truth is, is, is that the whole time that you're trying to tell them about, about what's going on, you may not even realize that there is a glaring problem with yourself. We have to first understand that we are powerless to change, not just them, but change ourselves. And we have to come to the Lord with humility and ask the Holy Spirit to take control of our relationship. We need His power to overcome everything in our lives, every sin, every evil desire, so that we can draw close to Him and we can, it'll open up the door to draw closer to each other. Because you know that if there's a problem here, then there's going to be a problem here. And if there's a problem here, there's going to be a problem here. You've got to get them both right. But it always starts with a clear line of communication between you and God. It always starts with addressing your own heart and your own motivations and your own circumstances. See, many people today don't realize something. Many people today don't realize that they're themselves struggling with interpersonal issues they're struggling with, with sin, or you're struggling with a character defect. You're, you're struggling in your own self, and you need God to come and help you. And so when you look at your mate and when you see something, some of the things that they're going on, uh, many times it's a projection of something that you're, you're, you yourself is, are struggling in. And so asking God to get you right with him is important. It, it can take what you can do in five minutes alone with God can replace five years of therapy and self-help books. And I need you to understand this this morning. You may be sitting here and thinking to yourself, well, it would take a miracle. Praise God. He is in the business of doing miracles this morning. He'll begin to work in your lives because Paul reminds us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, watch what he did. He expected to die. He expected his circumstances to be bad. He expected things to be broken but because of that expectation. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. Some of you feel like your relationship is dead. Some of you feel like your relationship is, is so broken and so shattered and so scattered and so messed up that there is nothing that anybody can do. You've lost hope. You've stopped trying to fix, to be honest with you. But the great news about it is that when you lose all of that, you decide to turn to the Lord because that's the only where to go. That's the only thing that you can do. 
But when you turn to the Lord, even as a last resort, and you trust him, if God can raise somebody from the dead, don't you think that God can raise your relationship from the dead? Don't you think that God can breathe life into a marriage that doesn't have any love in it anymore? Don't you think that God can, can work out the relationship in, in places and situations and circumstance where trust has been broken? He absolutely can. He who raises people from the dead can raise your relationships back from the dead. See, God wants to come alongside of you through his spirits and, and bring you back to life. He wants to give us things like power to be like Christ, convict us of sin, empowering us to, to fight sin in our lives. He wants to cause our marriage to glorify Christ. He, he wants to, to fill us with the fruit of the spirit. And whenever he does this in our life, they can empower us to walk boldly into the circumstance and the problem and to the situation that we're facing and know that God is going to bring something back to life that has, has not been working out like we wanted it to. See, up until this moment, maybe you've been focusing on your spouse, your partner, your, your neighbor. Maybe you've been focusing on that relationship, trying to fix that other person. But many times... The problem can be with our own intimacy with the Lord. You want to restore your intimacy with your spouse or, 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 or the, the, the deep abiding friendship with that other person. But the way to restore it, the road to, to the restoration is through a, a deep and abiding intimacy with Christ. So I want to give you three points on, on how to restore that abiding relationship with Jesus. The first point is, is to believe that God loved you first and wants a relationship with you. Many people have a hard time understanding this. You have a hard time believing this. It's not because you haven't grown up in church all your life and you've, you, you knew this on the inside. It's not because you don't read it in your, in your Bible. It's because deeply inside of who you are, it's hard for you to imagine that somebody, let alone God, really does want a relationship with you. He loves you. He loves you. He, the Bible says he loved you before you first loved him. And he wants a relationship with you. He sees the value of who you are because he placed that value inside of you. And so to imagine and to understand and to think and to reflect and to meditate on the fact that you must believe God loved you first and wants a relationship with you gives you some indication of the value that you have, not only with him, but with other people. Amen. Secondly, I want you to confess your dependence on him. Confess your dependence on him. Many times, that's the thing that's, that's the problem. Like, you want to say that you, you love him. We, we want to say we really, we really like him. We want to say we enjoy going to church, or we enjoy connecting with other people of God, but, but it's hard in and of, of ourselves to say, I need him. 
I have to have him. I have to have a relationship with him or things don't work right in my life. That's what it means when we say we are dependent upon God. We're dependent on God for our relationships to work. And if we don't depend on God, our relationships will soon fall apart. As a matter of fact, in this moment, if you have sin in your life, it's time to confess that to him too. Because by not confessing sin, by not making yourself right with the Lord, you're withholding that intimacy from him. He's not withholding anything from us. We're pulling away from him. We're saying that we like him all right, but we're going to have this other side thing. That there's something else out there that's going to meet our needs rather than him. And that's not the way that intimacy works at all. It doesn't work like that here, and it won't work like that here. You, you just imagine to yourself telling your spouse that you really enjoy a relationship with him or with them, but you also enjoy a relationship with another person. That doesn't work out very well. I promise you. So stop trying to do it with the Lord. And finally, to help us to have this deep and abiding relationship with the Lord, begin walking with him daily. That seems like the most obvious advice. But for some reason, this is the thing that's sometimes the hardest to do. A consistent daily walk with the Lord, reading his word and, and praying and meditating on, on who he is and what he's done in our lives, bringing up him up in conversation and allowing, um, allowing him to, to have his way in our life. These are all such important things for us to daily do. It's easy for us to come down to the altars and pray for a moment. It's easy for us to, 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 um, to come to him in that time of need, but to set up a daily and a, a reoccurring time where we make sure that we're walking with him, the consistency of that is hard. So these are the very most basic ways that you and I can straighten ourselves out before we even once talk to our mate and ask our mate or ask our friend or our neighbor or our family member to do something in their own, uh, in their own lives. Tip number two, remember who the real enemy is. Remember who the real enemy is. You know, our homes can often feel like battlefields, if we're going to be honest. And our words turn into ammunition that we shoot across and we wound people's hearts and injure their lives. And eventually, there really are no winners in all of it. There's just two people trying to survive through the mayhem and carnage of war. As a matter of fact, there are some popular uh, uh, phrases out there talking about marriage is the only war in which people sleep with the enemy. And even though that's absolutely not true, some of us, we live in a relationship that it feels true. It feels right. And that's not the way that God would choose for us to live. But we see that as evidence as even in the first relationship, the first marriage ever. 
and Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that God creates Adam and Eve, and they're living in the middle of the most beautiful garden. It's a perfect place. And they're so... Uh, they're so free, and they have a, 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 a relationship with God that's face-to-face. -face. They have a relationship with each other. Everything in every way is perfect. Sin hasn't even entered into the world yet. Yet even in the middle of perfection, Satan came in and began to tempt in two ways. The first way is to make them doubt what God said. But the second way was to drive division in between a man and his wife. That's what happened in the very first marriage, in the middle of perfection. I don't know about you, but I, I don't live in perfection. So how much easier is it for the enemy to come in and snake his way into my life and to, and to make me doubt the promises of God and drive a wedge in between me and my wife? It turns out it's, it's pretty easy for the enemy. I want to introduce to you who the real enemy is. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the enemy is a thief, his purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus reminds us that my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Right there on display is two choices. The enemy of our life or what Jesus would have for us. Jesus has a, a deep satisfying life in store. Some translations say that, that he has come to give you a life more abundant. That's the kind of life that I want to live, a life more abundant, a life more abundant with my spouse, a life more abundant with my friends in every relationship. But here the thief is. He's come to still kill and destroy. He wants to steal the joy and the intimacy out of your relationships. He wants to kill love inside of, inside of your marriage. He wants to destroy any hope that you have of it ever coming back. And so we literally have a, have a decision to make. And when the decision's put in those terms, it's, it's pretty easy to choose the life that, that's more abundant. But in the moment, in the fog of war, sometimes it's easy to forget who the enemy really is. As a matter of fact, Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood, uh, blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now, I don't know what kind of background that many of you have come from, uh, uh, what kind of faith background, church background, denominational background that, you, that you've come from. But no matter where you've come from, the truth is the truth. Amen? Amen. And, and, and if you grew up with your church telling you that there's rainbows and unicorns and nobody ever wants to have a problem with you, and it's just, a, it's just about you and God then I'm sorry, because th that was only half the truth. Because the other half of the truth is that there's an enemy out there 
That's a spiritual enemy that, that is, that is truly malevolent against you and your relationship. And he does this through temptation and he does this through suggestion. And if you are not prepared as a, as a couple or in a relationship for the attack of the enemy, then you're open game. Then you're easy prey. And so we find out that, that there is really an attack on your marriage. There's really attack on your intimacy on, and on your love. But I love 2 Corinthians because in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us exactly how you and I can be prepared to face the enemy and his attacks in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 11 tells us that we shouldn't be surprised about Satan and his schemes. I'm, I'm reading The Art of War right now. Uh, just a little light reading, you know. <laughs> I don't know why I do these things. I'm a nerd. And in this book, Sun Tzu, he demonstrates the fact that you can, if you study war, you can predict your opponent's moves. As a matter of fact, if you study your opponent enough, not only can you predict his moves, but you can counter his moves to a certain place that you will already know that you've won before you even get into the battle. And can I tell you the truth that we know who our opponent is because of the word of God. And we know that his plan is to kill, steal, and destroy. And we know that he comes with temptation. And we know that he comes with suggestion. And therefore, if we submit ourselves to the word of God, if we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, if we, if we don't yield to the temptation, but instead we are only allowed suggestion from the Holy Spirit, then we ourselves can stand firm against the onslaught, the attacks of the enemy. That's why you and I should not be surprised about the schemes of the enemy. Verse, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 tells us that Satan will attack us much the same way as he did Adam and Eve. That he's going to make you doubt the word of God and his promises. He's going to try to bring division between you and your relationships. But this all means that in order to have a life and a marriage that God wants for us, we must be diligent in defending our minds. Our minds. Because as it turns out, our minds is the central place for every battle within our marriage and within our lives. I quoted this passage last week, and I, I want to remind you of it because it's so important. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, Paul says, we are human. Everybody in here identify with that so far? I'm on board. I'm a human. Okay. But we don't wage war as humans do. Look at that. Sun Tzu kind of understood this. When you get angry and frustrated and, and mad, you, you go and you, you try to attack the things that you can see. But that's not what Paul is suggesting here. He says we, you, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And listen to this. 
We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. This has to happen inside of us first. We are responsible for the things that we think. This is news to some people because they want other people to be responsible for their failures. This is a common idea in our society that, that, that it's a victim mindset that says if they would just be okay, if they would just be right, if they would just be fair, if they would just be equitable, if they would just be this or that, then my life would be better. Well, you're not responsible for them. But if we hold ourselves responsible for the way that we think, for the ideas that we have, the things that we allow ourselves to linger on, then we can hold it captive according to the power of the Lord and submit it under, under its obedience. We can decide whether it's a good idea or a bad idea based on the Word of God, and then we can either choose to suppress it, choose to throw it away, get, it, get rid of it, or choose to allow it to gain momentum in our lives. But it's our responsibility. Once we are able to control our thoughts, we can then discover the truth that James points out in James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee. Some of you are so tired and worn out because of the attacks of the enemy in your relationship. You're so frustrated because it never seems to go your way. You're so frustrated because you're always, you feel like you're always in battle. But James is clear when we humble ourselves before the Lord and resist the devil then he'll flee. Some people humble themselves before the Lord, but they forget to resist. It's like, well, it's just going to be that way again. Or you, 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 you try to resist Satan, but there's a problem in your heart that you haven't given to the Lord. But when you do those two things, James tells us that the devil will flee. What does that translate into? At some point, the attacks are going to subside. At some point, you're going to have a, those moments of peace that pay off in the long run. But if we're going to be honest with each other, there's probably people in this place right now that are feeling a little bit demotivated right now. Because you feel like you're, you are such a long way off from where the Lord really wants you to be or your marriage or re relationship is so badly damaged that that you can't imagine doing some of these things, let alone all of them. But I want to encourage you with this. First John chapter four, verse four tells us the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Some of you need to remember that our adversary, the devil is not an equal match to God. He does not equal in any way, shape or form is as, as a matter of fact, the battle is already won in God's eyes. Amen. The enemy is already defeated in your life. And so you may not have enough strength to do any of this, but I want you to know when you put your hand in the hand that holds you, 
You already have the victory in him. You don't have to have the strength. You just have to depend on him. Somebody say, man, that's good. The final tip is this. Winning is only done together. Winning is only done together. Now we get to the portion of the message that actually has something to do with the other person. Aren't you excited? (laughs) Some of you are starting to take notes now, right? I'm going to have myself a Bible study with my wife tonight. (laughs) And you're getting ready to take it because because this this is the moment. Because when we really have disagreement and conflict and when we really have a problem inside of ourselves, we're basically admitting that there is a right view and there's a wrong view and somebody has to admit to it. Somebody has to decide that they're right and the other person's wrong. And you want nothing more than to make the other person understand that they're wrong so they will correct themselves. Or praise the Lord, have the Holy Spirit correct them. And that's what we really want. And it's true. There may be a right and a wrong. Probably is. There may be a moment where where the Holy Spirit does bring conviction and correction in their life. But if we make it about that, then what we really are, are are two people competing for different prizes. And then if we do cross the finish line, We're not crossing the finish line together. We're just two broken and hurt people because one kind of won and one kind of lost, but both people are kind of hurt. So exactly how do we come to this point in our relationship? It's not about being right or wrong. It's about always moving towards reconciliation. If the goal is reconciliation, if both people just want to get back together, then you can move forward together when there's not a right and a wrong, but a reconciled. Then that's the important thing. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Christ did in our lives. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 31 Paul says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's reaching down and touching some people in this, in this room. See, fixing yourself and identifying the enemy are, are some of the easiest ways to, to, to begin the process of healing and begin the process of fixing things that were broken. But one of the hardest things that you and I can do is moving towards reconciliation because reconciliation means that you have to admit to yourself that at some point, You have to forgive. At some point, full and total forgiveness is going to happen. If anything less, then it's really not reconciliation. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 tells us, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. 
Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We have to remember that not only do we move towards reconciliation, but we also work to try to meet the needs, emotional and physical needs of our spouse, of our friend, of our neighbor, of our family member. Every relationship, our goal and our objective has to be to work towards meeting their needs. And if both people are doing the same thing, then that means that both people are moving towards reconciliation. This is important for us to understand here because our ultimate winning strategy, the ultimate winning strategy in all of this is coming together, agreeing on something together and praying about it. Amen. Praying about it. Did you know that, that Jesus gave you a blank check? He gave you a blank check when it comes to coming together. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, he says this. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it. It's a blank check. So maybe you're here this morning and you say to me, Pastor John, I've got these marriage things. I've got these relationship things. It's hard, it's difficult, and, and I, I, I've, I've worked to try to make this right in my life. And, and if we're going to be honest, Pastor John, I've, I've also tried to remember that, that it's not about my spouse, but it's really about what the enemy would do in my life to try to bring division between me and my spouse. And I'm working on reconciliation, but I just, nothing seems to be working. Nothing seems to be coming together. I want to challenge you to do this. Come to your spouse. Tell them what the problem is. Not accusing them of anything, but just ask them to pray with you. See, many times people think that prayer is... Well, it's just wishful thinking. Or, or maybe prayer is just a, a wish list that you give to God, and maybe you get it, and maybe you don't. But prayer is something different than those things. Prayer is taking a knee confidently before the throne room of God, making it known to Him. And whenever you pray together with your faith united with each other, Many times prayer doesn't change the situation, but instead it changes your heart. When we pray and allow our prayer to be in line with God's will for our lives, what we find is simple. That many times our lives begin to align with God's will. And if you're having a problem in your relationship and you need restoration, you need love, you need comfort. You need to build back trust again. These are all things that God wants for you. Amen. And so these are all things that when you pray about it, it will be done. Would you stand with me all over this place?
so maybe there are people in here that need to be reminded to stop trying to fix your mate and start trying to fix yourself. Maybe you need to be reminded that the real enemy is Satan and not your spouse or your friend. And maybe you need to be reminded that your goal is not to be right and for them to be wrong, but for you both to be reconciled. And we, when we come with those three things in mind as tips and, and strategies in our life, then we're promised that a relationship has the opportunity to get back on track, that love and peace and joy and long-suffering and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control will be manifested in our lives. We'll remember that our spouse is for us and we are for our spouse. We'll meet emotional needs and physical needs. But the most important thing is that we'll have a life as guaranteed to be more abundant than any life than you could ever create for yourselves without him. Amen. So if your spouse is here, would you just grab their hand real quick? In just a moment, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. But perhaps this morning you're not with your spouse. Or maybe the problem is, is that your, uh, your relational issue isn't with a spouse, but it's a friend or a coworker or a family member. I want to invite you to pray along with us today too. Because the truth is, is that this is not just about marriages, even though that's been the focus, but this is about every relationship in your life. So would you pray along with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you, God, for each and every one of these couples and these individuals that are within the sound of my voice this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come into this place in such a powerful way, God, in a way, God, that allows us, Lord, to be right individually with you. Lord, that you would restore us, God, in, in our relationship with you, Lord, that if there is a problem with sin, Lord, that it would be confessed, Lord, to you. And Lord, that you would make us right. Father, I pray, God, that, that you would help us, Lord, to change our opponent in our mind, Lord, to Satan and not on the relationship. And finally, Lord, I pray, God, that, that you would restore a deep and abiding love and a desire for reconciliation in every marriage, in every relationship. Lord, your word tells us that we should desire to be one just as you are one. Father, help us, Lord, to be one with you and one with each other. Lord, help us, God, to move in a direction, Lord, that will be pleasing to you. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory and praise. Father, let us be a people, Lord, that find you, that give hope and do life together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Bless you this morning.